Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking Podcast. Do you like listening to my voice? If so, write a review, share with a friend, subscribe, help us grow. Today in the booth, it's us again, but we got one of your favorite one-topic pods. We just discuss the American dream, its past, its presence, and its future, and what it means to each of us. So kick your feet up and enjoy. Just sometimes I think about the American dream, the American illusion that we're supposed to, you know, we're raised to think that we're supposed to, you know, stay in school, go to college, get a house, get married, have kids, get retirement, live happily ever after. That's some, you know, and it varies depending on the person, but like, you know, that's kind of like what a lot of us strive to do. And so I'm wondering, like, that was the dream, I guess, when I was younger. Is there a new dream? Are people still adhering to that? And if not, then what is the new thing that young people are being taught? Or uh, I don't want to use the word brainwash. That's like such a harsh <laughs> term. Right. But what is the new dream? Like in... in how is that changing? What did it mean to you growing up? Like, what did you think it could be? Or was it always a full illusion? I think for me, it's always been a full illusion, just because my father was a very open person, right? And he he let us know that it wasn't necessarily something that we had to do. And he let us know growing up, whether it's through school, community, uh, television and media, like people are going to, you know, kind of guide you into this direction, you know, but my parents never really was like, you know, you have to go to school, you have to do this, you know, they were encouraging of it, but it wasn't like, I know a lot of people grow up with this, you know, get married, have kids. Like my parents never pushed any of us, my brothers and I to, to partner up, like get married have children. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Ed, what was your uh, growing up? How was, how was these things talked about? The, it was, it was less pushed on me by my parents and more so just what all of my peers were doing. Going to middle school and high school in New Hampshire, everybody was just kind of more like the college part, less about the settling down, have a family. I mean, that was in the air, but the academic dimension that G brings up, kind of get good grades, go to college, and then kind of that's how you properly enter the workforce. College and SATs, were just, it was just always around. Um, you know, extra courses, college visits. It was like part of the social fabric of like, oh, which, where, are you, where are you applying? Um, you know, where are you visiting? Like, it was just sort of like what everybody did. It was just like baseline. So I didn't think any different. I was like, oh, everybody does this. Just, just go to college. Like that's, 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 that's the default. Uh, I didn't know anything differently, especially, you know, how our school system 
framed it as well. So I think that is very much a tenet of the American dream that G's talking about. So that was really strong. But the get married and settle down and buy a house, that was probably less pushed upon us, but also we are in the North, the Northeast. I think that that kind of romantic dimension is much more prevalent down South um, for many reasons. Yeah. I don't think I had, there wasn't much of the, the, the get married by a house. There very much was the get good grades, go to college. But, yeah. you know, with my family, um, my mom in, in, in a sense was a product of the quote unquote American dream. You know, she came here in sixth, fifth or sixth grade, not speaking any English, you know, in a family that didn't have really any resources. Um, and then was able to study really hard and do really well in school and then get a free scholarship to college. And, you know, they, she actually didn't end up working for a bit when they had the kids, or my brother and I, and then she went back and became a teacher and did fine. But even my grandmother, my grandmother, you know, grew up in very, you know, the whole world's very patriarchal, especially, you know, South America was probably a step ahead of, on the patriarchy than uh, probably even the U.S. You know, she came here uh, not even being able to drive, never even thinking about working. Um, and then she went back to school, I think, in her early 40s, um, ended up getting her license and then ended up doing better than my grandfather and ended up working in the federal government um, and, and really attaining a good life. So my grandparents um, are incredibly thankful for what uh, the country did for them that they didn't feel like they had the opportunity for from where they were coming from, um, which was a place that was having civil wars and you know disruption all the time. So I think what's tough about the American dream is it's always been an illusion, right? It was created uh, in the depression and there's all these different reasons why it was brought up. But I, I do wonder sometimes in life, if we need a certain amount of illusion um, to succeed, right? Um, it, it, like when I think about even doing a startup, if you knew how hard a startup was to do it, would you do it? And like most pe people that build startups say, probably not. I could never have imagined how hard this was going to be once I started mm -hmm. doing it. Um, and I think sometimes if we pull the rug out around everything, then it can be very disruptive to how we view anything. It's like we almost like need, I think, especially as like a younger brain, right? Like the younger brain that's being like formed. Um, you almost like need a certain amount of ability to persevere and to be more overly confident in the beginning because the world in so many ways is so crushing. Um, I've never really thought about this. This is like a really interesting question, but that's where my mind went. All right, Steve Jobs. Is it still the illusion? <laughs> is it still the illusion, y'all? Like, I don't, like, I'm really asking from a place of curiosity. I feel like so out of touch, but it's like, you know, I have a 13-year-old niece, and she is very, like, focused on school um, and very brilliant, like, on a roll, you know, every year. I mean, every semester, um, we'll probably be able to get, a, you know, a, a scholarship to the, the school of her choice. Um, but in terms of those who aren't privileged enough or aren't able to get scholarships, and are facing like an immense amount of debt. 
Like that was my case when I went to NYU. Like I had never applied to any school or college except NYU and ended up getting in. And like my parents were so surprised because they didn't even know I applied. And my mom's first question was like, how are we going to afford this? You get what I'm saying? And it was that there was an inkling where it's like, dang, maybe I can't even go here. You know, and I feel like that's the majority of people like not on, you know, a major scholarship or um, they're like I'm going to I'm going to do this school thing. But and I, I know I'm going to be in this amount of debt. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what is that still a thing or have people kind of, you know, see or have been warned enough to be like, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get a good job after this. And, you, you know, you might be paying that debt off for the rest of your life. I think there's a problem because there's a separation. I mean, over the past 40 years, the number one indicator that you would do better in life was a college degree. But most people aren't economists and weren't able to track the rate of, you know, how much the college degree went up in regards to inflation and all these other things, right? Like, so that was like a hard thing to be able to tell someone. There's also like, we have so highly stigmatized community colleges, at least I know in my age group growing up, that was like a thing to me that like you were like a failure if you went to, which is a crazy mm-hmm. thing to That's have wild. like permeated when it's actually an incredible thing that people could do because you can learn why you're doing it. It can give you a trade. You might even be able to get a Fractional scholarship cost. from there. Yeah, Fractional cost. And there's so many jobs today that are pretty well paid that aren't demand, especially even in tech, that aren't demanding the same amount of college degrees. And so I still think an education of some sort is the most powerful thing you can get. It's just not at any cost. And then when I hear people going and then getting masters in nothingness, um, it's just like, oh, we've really failed everyone on how they're thinking about this. And that really disappoints me because I think it's conflating two things. It's like now people are thinking education's totally overrated and it, it was and it was a sham when actually co- education is still the greatest thing you can do. It's just not at any cost. There's just right. different paths for where you're at. I think education has always been exaggerated in terms of its ability to lift people in their stations of life or in, in, in how education has been cast as the primary tool for social mobility, I think that that is incorrect. I think it's, it because you got it. So I think the largest living, and will be with, with us for a while, like the largest tenets of the American dream are definitely education. Like that's been born through student debt, surpassing any other forms of debt in, in modern days. Uh, home ownership and um, damn, what was the third? Anyway, we'll get back to it. But education, uh, it's I, education wasn't really hot until after World War II with the GI Bill. You know what I mean? Like I don't. It was because well, it was it too expensive. Like, it was it was a it was a private elite commu- thing to it was do. Private elite. It was a luxury. Yeah. It was not accessible. And then the you know uh, the GI Bill made it accessible to all of the um, soldiers coming home. You know what I mean? It was like how Henry Ford made his cars accessible to everybody, and all of a sudden everybody was driving. It kind of did was the same way. With but education. Ed, who had all who had all the good jobs before that? All of the good jobs before the GI Bill? Yeah, I don't know. What do you mean? 
people attended private university. Well, yeah, but there, Possibly, but there was also, I don't know. there was no middle class before. World right, War, but it cr- but it created that. I think I think the thing that I, I'm going to push back on is most jobs. I agree. Like most of the things in college, I forgot. My college was basically a country club that just put me in a certain status. I think the the learnings <laughs> before that. I mean, straight up was like you go to a certain private like rich education. You're just being around most part like people who are from well to do families that will continue to be connections for the rest of your life. That's like pretty much that's what you're paying for. Well, that's the point. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's what you're paying for is the connections because I've never gotten a job. Like no one's looked at my resume and was like, oh, you went to NYU? Here's the job. It was never like that. It's always been about the connections I made through NYU. Absolutely. Always. So is that is that more, is that, is that education in and of itself? Is that more social capital, which, which the same social can be derived capital. from wealthy neighborhoods? So no, before no. It, you go to college. It's right. definitely social so, capital. No. I will say I'm actually more concerned with probably like education before then. And after, which is why I'm actually very for the two years and all this other stuff. I, I do think that most jobs, though, in life still require a certain amount of like structure or like, like hard work is so much more important than like academic IQ, blah, blah, blah. Like if, if you're going to like be consistent in almost anything in life, you're going to be pretty good. And so I still think there's certain structures you get younger on that are more important than anything you get in college. College is social capital. Yeah, absolutely. But college is like college is the new uh, high school diploma, right? And so, yep. it, like in in relative terms of what it yields you right now. But I think I think the 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 popular narrative is go to college, achieve a high income, have a consistent savings behavior, and put money aside, and then build wealth and raise your station in life. Would you all agree that that is like the popular narrative? about the and a part of the american dream yeah but like that's not how wealth works so i think obviously higher education but is is the american dream wealth or is it just doing well in life that's a good question can you do well without wealth yeah i mean i think of wealth as like big multi-generational like i have like relatives in like north florida who i don't know like has you know he's married two kids probably makes like 80 to 100k which to me is not wealth but it's certainly doing well it's, lives in an area where he can own a home like watches the jackson jill jaguars on the weekends and hangs with his family and he's happy as hell that to me is like the american dream but he's not passing down like buku dollars to his kids and they're probably going to go to you know state schools and all the different things but to me like the ability to live like a well life is what people hope for. I feel that. But wealth is like, wealth is... That's not wealth, for sure. Well, I think, so wealth is just your assets minus your liabilities. Capitalism creates an asset-based economy. Wealth is assets. Assets are capital. Like, that's, that's, that's what it is. Income is not capital. So, I mean, wealth is really just... Wealth, when you... when. It, Wealth is not really something you strive to get. Wealth is the beginning and the end. Because when you're born into wealth, like you already have a leg up in 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 certain suburban communities, you have access to cachet types of of education, whether it be high school, private, or or secondary. Um, if you have in a medical emergency, wealth is what is is you're able to draw upon. If you have losses in income, which can sometimes fluctuate. 
wealth is what can kind of offset that and, and hold you down until you get more stable income. If you have problem with the law, wealth is what is used to address that. So wealth is the beginning and the end, not just something to achieve when you're 30 something or 40 something as if you don't start with but it. But that's not the American dream. I think I think the American I think, dream. I think wealth is like the layer up beyond the American dream. I disagree. I think wealth is the American dream because I think the American dream as we conceive it today really only started after World War II and our new national identity, which is tied to the GI Bill, which is tied to the suburbanization of America. I don't think the American dream as we know of it today existed the same way before World War II, even in the Great Depression and beyond that, where there was no middle class. Wealth, uh, the American dream is synonymous with the middle class. The middle class is propped up on wealth that was given by the state. Who is defining it this way? I, I think you're you're defining it in a very narrow way. That would be my American dream and probably your American dream. I don't think this is the average person's American dream. You So you're talking about like the, the, the immigrant dimension too. I, I as, just as think, that part I just, of the American dream. I think 80 to 90, I think 80 to 90% of America, because the way you're talking about wealth is really only like maybe 5% of America's even like thinking about or in that orbit. I mean, look I at how many Amer people have a passport. Look at how many people own stock accounts. It's a very small percentage when you look at the balance of America. And actually the cool thing is like, I mean, for better for worse, some of these new tech platforms are opening up people to these things, which are allowing them to start thinking about passive income, which is starting to introduce them to wealth. So I think that conversation is starting to happen, but that's like a, that's only been in the past like two, three years. Well, wealth is, I, I don't necessarily think in, when we talk about the American dream in terms of wealth, I don't think that necessarily includes like stock options and, you know, and, and, and derivatives and, and passive income through like those financial instruments. I think just like when you how do other down people to the American make dream, passive is How the else ability people make that type of income then? Housing equity, home but, ownership. Yeah, but most people don't live in places where their housing equity really appreciates that much. They did. That was that was basically the rule, not the exception. When the American dream was 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 really starting to 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 crystallize and how we understand it now. To G's point, I think the American dream is less that now, but that's where the American dream I think comes from. When you boil it down, it's just like. Can you change your status in life through hard work? And can you, you know, retire someday and raise a family? I think like these are just like parts, things that people cling on to and what identifies the American dream. And that is completely synonymous with post-World War II suburbanized America. So I agree with you on the housing thing. But once again, like my cousin owns a house and is going to pass it down to someone and it's going to be all right. His $250,000 house. That's an that asset. That's an asset, but that doesn't mean he suddenly has all this extra wealth for all the other things that you you listed out before. To me, that's someone with like considerable amount of means. And I think there's a difference. I, I think passing down a house is an amazing thing and is an important thing. And to me, I do agree that is the American dream. The wealth you were describing is a step above. Y'all are like comparing tangerines and oranges. So it's like whatever your perception of wealth is, right? But the American dream has been to obtain something, right? Obtain some level of financial security through a system, right? This is what you do in order to, you know, to get it. So my my real question is, since you talk about the historic aspect of like when, when that particular dream kind of came about, my question is, are we living in a time or have we been living in the time the last couple of years or spanning a 10-year decade, whatever, where this dream 
this illusion, like people are starting to feel differently about it. And maybe there's a new dream being implemented. Maybe the same dream that is a uh, blueprint still to maintain a status quo and a conformity, conformity, like emphasize, emphasis on conformity. Is that dream shifting? And what do you guys think it is going to look like or, or, or how is it changing? You know, if, if kids are, you know, being like, I don't want to spend all this money and be in debt, you know, I'd rather do this as a means to bypass that particular stepping stone that's been kind of forged down our throats in order to achieve this level of security or, you know, family security, or even the concept of family and marriage is that part of the American dream disintegrating and people are looking at new, new, new forms of security and purpose. So when you say security, what do you mean? And again, it's all relative. I feel like wealth is mm-hmm. relative. I think security is relative. Like my idea of security. I think security is pretty you, objective. You, I don't know. I feel like you guys would, you know, would, would probably look at me crazy if I told you my level of security and like what, what I can do with and, and without and be good. You know what I mean? But that's not going to be everyone else's um, concept of security. I, so like, I mean, just like, like, like the, it, because it's about the individual. The individual is what changes the zeitgeist when a, when a collective or a conform, uh, a, a collective is pushing a means of conformity. It's the individual. If enough individuals decide, you know what, security for me is this, or wealth for me is this, then that's when the dream and the illusion dissipates, right? So I guess I'm I'm yeah. pushing to to like mm-hmm. ask you like what. What do you think about the times that we're living in now in relation to the American dream as it was post-depression? And where do you think it's going? I don't know if we've ever let go of the original American dream. Maybe it's it's been, you know, sort of adopted to different ends. But I think the core tenets remain, especially with education. The idea of that education is something that can just catapult you to a different station in life. Like, I think that that kind of remains and that is still what people cling to just from an education standpoint. And that's not different than the original American dream. Mm. Um, I, I think what's, I think what definitely has changed is like, what do we aspire to in the, in the original sort of American dream landscape, it would be the nuclear family and, you know, the white picket fence and the leave it to beaver kind of, life. I don't think that that is what most young people aspire to in the same way, but I think the means to get to whatever security means to that individual are the same as the original American dream. Education, stick-to-itiveness, self-reliance, uh, you know, those kinds of things. It's not TikTok. TikTok? It's, it's not hey, that's a new on TikTok. No. No. Well, it's, it's, the number, per- like, it's the number one job kids want to be, though. I mean, straight up, young kids, the right. number one thing they want to be is on YouTube, TikTok, one of these things. I mean, so, yeah. Right. When they're 14. For that. You don't need college Nah, for that. not even. Look at the nah, recent man, stats, like, Ed. I'm telling you. I feel like young 21 year olds. All of the boomers wanted to be rock stars when they were 20 or something, too. So, that, you know, that's the same mm. thing. There's a lot more past, there's a lot more avenues to money, though, within the different worlds that deal with like teaching classes, all these different things. One thing I'll say is I do think the illusion has fallen more so than ever. And the reason it feels that way, or it seems that way is you've just never had, um, you know, people on the left pushing, at least in my lifetime, as much to socialism 
as they had before. And they can see it very clearly, just the transfer of wealth, the amount of money the boomers have versus how in debt they are. It's just very kind of obvious. Inflation has not like, you know, the cost of things has not gone up. Salaries have not gone up in like 20, 30 years, but everything else has exploded. And then even on the right, I mean, look, tr Trumpism, I mean, it's it's all a, 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 you know, a lie, but a lot, there are a lot of people on the right that were some of his base who were also calling out and decrying some of the similar things that really were about the American dream, not being able to get a factory job, not being able to get good work, not being mm -hmm. able, mm -hmm. you know, the cost of certain of, of insulin, you know, you know, these things there actually are some similarities on both sides and they, what they speak to is a class struggle. And to me, that is the failure of being able to move up in the American dream. So yeah, I do think that in our lifetime, this is the most exposed it has been. And then you add COVID into the mix and people being able to, you know, work work for home or find all of these different jobs or being laid off because they, you know, all, all these things and like what people have now been doing with their free time and unemployment and fi finding their own purpose and passion, you know, outside of that illusion that they've they've been kind of blinded by for so long. Um, and they're tremendously and what, what unhappy. What will that do? Right. What will that do in the in the next two or three years? Just that period of one year where most a lot of Americans were ripped away from that illusion and saw that, you know, I I can be OK, you know, like, yes, it's a struggle, but it's like I'm going to find a way. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I think it's just a really interesting time that I don't think that maybe even we understand the shifts that are happening right now. I mean, how can we? I'll say something that's interesting, though, uh, or at least for me in my life. I think um, a lot of millennials um, have chosen to, you know, not go the way of the family or having kids later, you know, all these different things. I do think the second you you do, tr you know, end up in partnership or do end up with kids, uh, your situation obviously changes a little bit. That independence of not being able to do things changes a little bit. Obviously, some people obviously have kids at a young age and they've never given that opportunity. But I'm just talking as a as a whole, as a group. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the our generation has been having kids later. The second you're put into that that place, you kind of don't get to think all these different things, and you kind of have to start putting yourself into a position that will reward you the most. So, I think we're one of the first generations where like. Boomers and other people before us, they, for the most part, didn't think about all these things. They were just like, what is the job that's going to make me the most money and going to do what I want to do? We were one of the first groups that wanted to start following passions and all these other things, which have made income a lot harder. Um, and I think we're, we're at this point where we're going to start having to reverse and be like, you know, money at the end of the day still is what we need. And maybe you're someone who needs very little, but that's not every person, you know, and I think people do want a certain amount for a certain amount of comforts, especially the older they get. So I think we're definitely in this interesting place. We're also a unique generation that we've had two cataclysmic economic events in 10 years that massively destabilized our earning income, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know when there's been another group that's had such a destabilization. You bring up, that's a good, I didn't even think about, um, how we view work. I 100% agree with that from a millennial generation that is different from the boomer, boomers and all prior generations. Mm -hmm. I think that that is new in terms of our American dream uh, is that we can, we more closely tie 
our identity to our work and imbue meaning into our work in a way past generations have not. Um, you know, I think the, I think the boomers, they were much better at compartmentalizing work, life, family. Like this work shit is just a means to an end, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that comes from past generations, 30 year career, you know, 30 year mortgage, and then you can retire off the equity of your home. But like with millennialism, like we're, we're much, I think, relatively more entrepreneurial. And even if we're not, even if you're an employee working for an employer, you want more meaningful or you want to feel good about the mission that you're supporting as an employee. I think that that is unique to this generation. And I think it's definitely we've handed that down to, to, to Gen Z. And that is a new part of, of our American dream. And I and I I would say illusion as well. Well said. But it's it. But it's like I think there's good there's pros and there's cons to that. Uh, a lot of cons are basically just coming to my mind first. I think that we're we are much more burnt out burnt out. Whether we're entrepreneurs or not, obviously you know employees are not burnt out to the degree of entrepreneurs. Like that's not even comparable. But like you know, putting, we're more workaholics because I think we want to be proud of, this is another thing. You, you bring up TikTok, G, Instagram, it is all just like hustler 101 inspiration porn. Like, mm. you know, do it yourself, grind, team, no sleep. Like that is so much fueling <laughs> the way that we identify our work and therefore ourselves and, you know, we're like noble workers and that we, we never take a day off and we mm -hmm. grind and, you know what I mean? Like, wow, you're sleeping, I'm working. Like all of this mm. shit is so, uh, I, th I think that Unhealthy. that's new. And I don't think celebrity culture. thought about it that way. Celebrity? Well, it's like celebrity culture. It's like we all want to be the person, right? We all want to be in control. And I, th I think something I've, I've been seeing a lot of posts by certain like founders or people like, in, in the startup world and they've been kind of almost pushing back against like follow like your like your passion and it's more like find mm. something you're really good at that you enjoy right. to do but doesn't have to necessarily mean that you have to go out and do it all on your own and create all these extra hardships and if you end up doing that like right. that's cool but like just if you're if there's something you're good at doing and you like doing you could do that in a lot of different variations and quite frankly make things like a lot less stressful and like easier because going out on your own, everyone thinks it's alert. It is hell in many ways, like absolute hell. And most people don't actually end up any, but I can't work for it. anybody. I can't, I can't, I can't work for nobody. I gotta be my own boss. Mm. Yeah. That's, it's like oh, such a misnomer. Yeah. It's the ego I'm working, aspect as well. You're saying, <laughs> I'll tell you this. I've been working for my, well, so I helped build a company where I technically did work for someone, but I was very much, allowed to do whatever I wanted for like five years. Then I've been a hundred percent my own boss for seven. And then I've been even just, I've been working on this project consulting since February where technically I report someone. I mean, it's, it's his show, but like I'm given a lot of lateral, but I actually am loving reporting to him technically because I'm coming in, I think with a lot of things I've learned, but it's not my thing because when it's your thing, you go to bed, you sleep about it, you dream about it. And I'm just like mm -hmm. allowed to, to make a check now and have that consistency, but I'm bringing all my talents of what I've learned into it in a way that's so less stressed. And guess what? I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And I think that's like a huge lesson. Like, I think 
all this hustle porn is really like undoing and it's not it's not surprised everyone's so like unhappy as unhappy as hell it's like look ed like mm, you're yeah. working at a big company that's cool i i just think that we've we've we're, we're creating things that are sometimes like almost like too hard for us there's good jobs out there and that we can take our talents and potentially effectuate more change everyone thinks that like, i have to do it myself it's like the same way where i see like a hundred nonprofits that are kind of all doing the same thing in a tiny microcosm. <laughs> it's like, maybe you all should like band together or like do something different. Like this isn't even effective, but everyone wants it to be my thing. Cause they think their thing is so unique. And that's a, that's something that rubs me. Same, same. It's like, it's a very small percentage of people get to like actually work on their passion full, full time. Like a very small percentage of people's passions yield livable income. So, so like that is complete. Those those are like blips in the population. And yet it is overrepresented as, as everybody's doing it. And you should, right. too. And it's like it's like otherwise your work is undignified. And, you know, right. you're like a puppet and your boss is like you're a bitch to your boss. Like your boss owns you in a draconian weird way. Like that's not even really what it is. It, like you said, for working for somebody, it can be more of a cooperative. Obviously, you know, you need education to an extent. You need credentials. You need connections. But like good working relationships with employers are kind of like more cooperatives rather than yep. you just you just do whatever your boss, your manager says and you have no life. And, you know, you're a tool. And, and I think it is crazy oversimplified, especially on Instagram. And it you're and you bring up a good point it fuels a lot of unhappiness yeah we're an unhappy country for sure definitely i'm trying to figure that one out too i have more questions about that of why why our you know depression is so rampant in our country and we have so many you know medical commercials pharmaceutical commercials pushing for a happier life or better sexual performance where i don't know my friend who's from germany she said they don't have that over there they think it's weird yeah we're the only country that has um, – my buddy, when he moved from Australia, said the same thing. It's like we don't have commercials uh, for pharmaceuticals. That's like an, a very American thing. Yeah, I guess that might be another episode. But, you know, I have, have questions <laughs> about uh, the illusions and how it correlates to our happiness and how it correlates to our identity and our id and our ego. You might need two episodes for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always think it just comes down to people – just have the wrong trajectory of what they're supposed to be doing in life. And it, it all comes down to just lack of like purpose and thought. And I, th and I think honestly, this hustle culture stuff is incredibly toxic within that. Mm. Is it lack of purpose or a mismatch of purpose? Maybe you know, mismatch. Like what we're being told should be the purpose, which is the basis of the illusion of the American dream of like, what is, what have we been told our purpose is versus what's inside of us, the essence of us. And how yeah. that conflict can add to illness, imbalance in in our mind and spirits and things. I think mismatch is a great way of saying it, which I never thought about. But think about how many people you know in the past year, and obviously these are people in a privileged state that were able to maybe take some time and weren't in such a terrible place because of the economy, but were maybe able to take a little time more for themselves to step away from their work. Uh, maybe that was just staying in place. Maybe that was them able to get more into nature or whatever it was. But I feel like a lot of people that we spoke to who did have the luxury of being able to take more space for themselves found an incredible like upside to it. 
and found mm-hmm. all this new like untapped pieces to themselves that they didn't even know existed. And I think that probably speaks G to the mismatch where it's like, these are people who are running in place hard and, and thought they had all the things figured out, but maybe we're just slightly off in lane. And it doesn't mean they have to totally recreate everything they were doing, but there was different balances or different approaches to how they could be doing it. And it'll be very interesting on how we come out of this. But um, I do think uh, the way we work is a huge, huge part to that, uh, which is why it'll be interesting to bring on someone at some point, but this conversation on how many days in an office people really need to be in, I think is an important part to this. Right. Just on the unhappiness, just like a quick, maybe, just America, America in terms of industrialized and developed Western society has reached uh, a decadence and a luxury that is pretty unprecedented in world history. And it's created a, a huge surplus of time and resources. And I think maybe there's, it's created more space for people to just be more idle and search for more meaning and maybe it's created more unhappiness because the other end of the spectrum is you know a deindustrialized country where you're spend most of your time on a food quest and you're just living to survive and things are a lot more simple but you know that's like a larger topic mm. but i think that that is an interesting uh variable in in all of this too as we are unhappy and we feel mismatches with our passion but I still, I still stand on, maybe you shouldn't look for passion in your work. Maybe you should do it. Work is just a, uh, is transactional. It's, it's, it's a utility to do other things, find other passions, support your family and all these things, to imbue it with too much of yourself, which I think our generation does do, I think is just a setting yourself up for failure and depression. That's interesting perspective for sure. I guess it is. It depends on the person. Definitely. And I recruit for a living. So, you know, mm. I see a lot of people with lots of passions. And um, and even just taking myself, did I, when I was in middle school, was I like, what are you, you going to do when you grow up, Eddie? I'm going to run recruiting at a tech star. You think, you think that's mm-hmm. what my idea was? No, I was definitely going to play in the league. But I was mm. also a child. But, but I've come to just like, to far define it exactly perfectly find something you're good at do the shit out of it and you know find other passions beyond it and i think that's what i'm doing and think about also to even take it a step further you're able to do some cool stuff within it right like the type of people you're able to bring into the fold the way you're able to then even can tell show set an example for other places and other companies on how they think about it. It's an actually incredibly important piece of how places work and how we grow teams and how we think about who we're including. So it's like every person has the ability to effectuate things in their roles, no matter what they are. And I think we sometimes like think it has to be something different than it is. No, I, I agree. You, you, the, I definitely enjoy what I do and can see ways that I can effectuate change Trust me, I'm not on the factory floor. You know, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Just go work in a factory or something like no shade to factory workers. But I, I don't think that's what a lot of people aspire to do, um, you know, barring circumstances. I definitely have like cool shit that I like doing that I enjoy. Um, but I just think 
I don't know, man. I just think folks, uh, you know, seek out work that's just going to fulfill them in in really naive ways. And only a few of us are able to actually do that. I think it's might be easier when you already have a purpose or passion in mind to to work those um, jobs that are not tied to passion and purpose. Like I think about, I just did a video for young creatives and I speak about my long history in the service industry, like from Mm. 15 years old at Subway making sandwiches to go into New York and going to school, but working full time and as a hostess at the Breslin or club promoter events, you know, all in the service industry. And the people I was surrounded by were like uber creatives, actors, actresses, And like, we had a lot of fun. It wasn't like I was miserable doing that kind of work. It wasn't like that because we had other passions outside that we were working towards. Like we, we felt like the service industry provides us what we need while we build towards our passion. So it was an exciting part of the process even. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but then again, there were some peers who didn't have purpose or passion outside of it. And some of them, not all of them, you know, you, you could tell there was a different air about them in terms of, you know, the excitement when they're at work or or not, or, you know, mostly the not. Um, so sometimes I, I, I think about that of like, there's nothing, there's nothing um, shameful about working for anybody else at all. Like that's the majority of the world, right? you know, and, I, right. and sometimes I wish people were more open about that and, and sharing their right. experiences of um, even if they're doing it now, working a nine to five or in service industry while pursuing a passion. I wish we saw more of that because there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's like, that's, that, you know, that that's a beautiful part of the journey as well. Like the things that I've learned doing service, I have served me so well in what I'm doing now as a full-time creative, let alone, you know, how, how I treat people because I've been, I've experienced that, you know? <laughs>